Welcome to We Are Unstoppable, sponsored by the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. I'm your host, Les Shapiro. And I'm your co-host, Vic Lombardi. Now, each episode, we'll bring inspiring interviews with great athletes, celebrities, and the most brilliant minds in medicine on how to beat adversity to win in life. So thanks for spending time with us as we bring you one step closer to becoming your best unstoppable self. Our guest is basketball star Sue Bird, and what an incredible resume. Almost dreamlike, Sue. When you, when you think back on your playing career, what stands out the most? But before you answer that, I want to talk about those accomplishments. In high school, you were the New York State Player of the Year. In college, your UConn teams went 114-4 and four and won two NCAA titles. You were the Naismith Award winner your junior year. That means College Player of the Year. You twice won the Nancy Lieberman Award for College Ball's Best Point Guard. You were the first pick overall in the 2002 WNBA Draft by the Seattle Storm. An 11-time All-Star, voted one of the top players in WNBA history, a four-time Olympic gold medal winner with Team USA. Should I keep going, Sue? <laughs> or you know this stuff already. So let me ask yeah. you, what, what does stand out most? How do you see yourself? Um, those are kind of the memories that stand out when I think about it. But I think overall what stands out is just the longevity of it all, you know, being able to kind of, um, go through a career, having to almost, um, you know, find new identities as you go, like recreate yourself in a way. And I think what shows that the most is probably the Olympic gold medals and then the WNBA championships. Cause those are over like a long period of time. So just, just someone who was able to stay at the top of their game for a really long time is what stands out. When uh, you were a young one growing up, who was your hero? Who was your basketball hero primarily? Um, primarily, it was my sister. Uh, she's five years older. And so from a very young age, literally like five years old, um, I just looked up to her. I picked up a basketball because of her. But then as time went on, you start to kind of pick out actual basketball players. No offense to her, but she never went beyond uh, high school. <laughs> and that's kind of when I found out about Jen Azy. You know, it was when she was on the 95-96 national team. They went to Athens, won gold. That pretty much put women's basketball on the map. And there was somebody who I could look at, and I was kind of like, oh, like, she looks like me. You know, we're, we're, we're actually, to be honest, to this day, we both get, I get Jen AZ'd all the time. I think she gets subverted all the time. So we literally look like each other. But that was that moment of like, oh, like, I could do this. That could be me one day. So that's kind of somebody who I've, I've pointed to as, as being one of the, the role models. Well, for those who stopped following you after your career was over, they might not be aware that, that a couple of years ago, the NBA's Denver Nuggets hired you to a front office position. They called you a, a basketball operations associate. I, I'm wondering, what is your role? What, what were you doing with them? So the beauty of that role and of that title was um, it was just a title. You know, I think once um, I got to talk to Tim, once I got to go out to Denver and meet everybody and that kind of all clicked. From there, they really gave me the, the green light to just learn and, and learn about whatever it is that I wanted to learn about. Because the truth is, I don't know anything about front office work. So for me, I could sit in all the meetings. I could scout. I could you know, evaluate players when asked. Um, you know, one story that I always use is you know, that the Nuggets were in a position where they could sign or bring up a guy from the, the, the G League. And so I got to watch like three, four different players and kind of give my like input. And one of the guys I liked was Brandon Goodwin. And that's, you know, who ended up coming up. Um, so it was cool to be a part of that and experience that. So for me, it was a world that I'd never, you know, been involved in. And I got to tap in, you know, to, to all the parts and, and everybody was helping me along the way. And it really was just a wonderful experience for me. 
Now, now, did I hear right that, that you're going to be leaving the Nuggets or you've left the Nuggets already and you're going to go for a fifth gold medal? Is that true? Yeah. So once the uh, 2019 summer uh, came and went and it was time to kind of get back into the NBA world, uh, I decided, well, I had kind of decided that the Olympics were on my, my map at that point, but it came, what it came down to was just like a time commitment thing. And so sadly I wasn't able to return to the Nuggets. Uh, they were totally supportive, totally understood. And for me, it was about just kind of like, all right, if this is one year to go, I just want to focus on this one thing. And then everything else w- would be there waiting for me after. Now that got pushed back even further. So we'll see what happens. So I, I'm a little curious. You've, you've had to fight through a lot of knee injuries throughout your career. Evidently, your, your knee probably feels much better. You had horrible knee problems. You tore your ACL your freshman year at UConn. You, you lost the whole 2013 WNBA season after needing surgery. There was more knee surgery in 2017. You lost practically the whole 2019 season with more knee problems. <laughs> so I, I'm guessing your knee is okay, huh? <laughs> You're making me sound crazy. Like, just give it up. Um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, I always joke, uh, the longest relationship I've had in my life is, is with my knee. It's like every morning I have to check in, ask, ask her how she's doing, ask her what she needs that day. But so far it's, it's hanging on, you know, I think there's a like 90% chance I'm going to need a knee replacement, which, you know, it is what it is. It's not amazing, but for the time being, I figured out how to, to, to keep it going. And so it's feeling good right now. We'll see what happens. You know, you you know about this. I don't need to tell you, but what is it with female athletes and ACLs and, and what scientific studies have you seen about that, read about that? Why, why is that so prevalent? Um, from what I've heard women and how they're built and, you know, hips and things of that nature and where their muscle is kind of like proportioned in different parts of their legs. I think now where I stand after like kind of going through my career and hearing about those things, you know, a lot of weight training and a lot of programming that's out there, even a lot of nutritional plans, they're all based on men. You know, very rarely is, you know, our female athletes, you know, very rarely is it looked through through that lens specifically. So, you know, I think about what we did in college, what, what I did in my early WNBA years. And it was basically just like, you know, however guys lifted. And I think that just puts a different stress on female bodies. Because the fact is, like, we are different. It's not a bad or a good thing. It's just, it's different. So now I think you are seeing different training methods with that whole idea in mind. Um, I don't know if there's like lesser ACL numbers now than there were before. But that's kind of like the general idea of, of maybe why it was happening. Uh, Sue, I was watching a uh, podcast you participated in with J.J. Redick, and I thought it was the coolest thing in the world, the way NBA players have gone out of their way to adopt um, women players. And J.J. said when he was a kid growing up, he had your poster in his room, and he looked yeah. up to you. How, do, how does that make you feel? How cool is it to see that? It is pretty cool. You know, I think um, on one hand, it's like a reminder of how old I am in this whole game. Um, cause I'm like, I feel like JJ is like a seasoned vet and I'm like, oh my God, he was young enough. Like I, or I should say I was like playing when he was young enough to have a poster. Um, but yeah, I think there's, there's definitely a sign of respect that exists between male and female basketball players. Um, you know, it's obviously no secret that a lot of times female athletes kind of get, you know, hated on a little bit, or there's like the kitchen comments, you know, get back in the kitchen, that kind of thing. But what's interesting is the people that know the sport, play the sport at a high level, they can just recognize good basketball. They can recognize, you know, a good athlete. And so the hate doesn't exist. Um, so it is, it is nice uh, to, to, to get, um, 
you know, the respect in that way. Uh, a poster on the wall, I mean, nothing beats that. Whether it's J.J. Redick, a little kid, it's kind of amazing. Sue, were you, when you were in the NBA front office with Denver, um, did you get hated on there at all? Could you feel it from any players? Could you feel it from anybody in the front office? There, there are a handful of, of females uh, in the male-dominated NBA. There are some referees. There are a number of female assistant coaches. But still, there are, there are a lot of Neanderthals out there, as we know, who just are not accepting no matter what the day and age. Did you feel any of that in the front office? No, I didn't feel any of it. Um, all the guys in the front office and even the women, you know, shout out to Amy O'Brien. It was like the minute I got there, I think all they saw was someone who is obviously a decorated athlete, someone who could bring, you know, a different set of eyes. Um, again, it was about getting along with everyone and, and, you know, our personalities mixed, you know, perfectly. So it was fun to just like chop it up at dinner or watch the games and kind of share our different um, thoughts and perspectives. But I was just treated the same way. I think anybody who, who was invited into the front office would have been treated. Um, that goes for, you know, those in the front office and it also goes for the coaches. Uh, they were so awesome. So welcoming the players, same thing. So welcoming, so warm, you know, first of all, all the, all the people who do hate and kind of can't get past it, that never, they never say it to your face. You know, I don't hear any of those comments to my face. Um, so even being in Denver and, and having, you know, you show up courtside maybe at the start of, or before of a game, there were fans who, you know, were, you know, you know, shouting my name out, asking for autographs. Um, you know, it was always, always love there. So that was really cool. Well, I think a lot of that is because game recognizes game. And, and that's why I think a lot of NBA players are quick to point out uh, the success of the women's league because they recognize how hard it is to get there and to stay there. Having said that, do you think we'll see the day, and it's close, when uh, one of those lady coaches, the assistants, becomes a full-time head coach in the NBA? Yeah, I agree. I don't think we're far from it. Obviously, the, the name that most people bring up is Becky Hammond, mm -hmm. rightfully so. She's kind of um, worked her way up. And, you know, the one thing I, I say about, you know, women now being in the NBA and, and getting these positions, like, first of all, these are like coveted spots and they don't, the NBA and the front offices don't just give these spots to anybody because these are like, you need to do your job or else, you know, or else the team will lose and then everybody will lose their job. So this isn't like a game where it's just, oh, let's throw a woman in there because it looks good. Like these are, like I said, coveted spots. And the, the other thing is, I think as women, um, especially those of us who have played, so we'll take, we'll use Becky. Becky had a long career in which she played not just in the U S but overseas. She played for Russia at the Olympics. So that's just experience. That's just knowledge. And that's being able to like tap into that anytime. So when she's in a timeout, when she's talking to a player, the wealth of knowledge is crazy. And I think it's a new set of eyeballs, you know, and a lot of times, and believe me, this happens in all leagues, the WNBA included, but in the NBA, from what I hear, it's like people can kind of get caught in like the same think tank. And sometimes you just need a different look. And I think women bring that in a lot of ways. Um, so for, for a female to be a head coach, um, I, I definitely think a lot of them are knocking on the door. And I think it'll be sooner than later that we see it. Time to take a short break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Sue Bird, the Olympic gold medalist and perennial WNBA All-Star. We Are Unstoppable is sponsored by the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. You know, Les, when I got hit with prostate cancer, it's the first place I turn to because I know the Anschutz campus, they really delve into breakthrough technology. If there's something new on the horizon, 
I know they've got it. And I was hit with lung cancer. And that's where I get treated as well, at the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. They've got me up and running. They've made me unstoppable. Less they've made us unstoppable. And they're located right here in the heart of the Rocky Mountain region. We're back with WNBA superstar, Suber. I want to go back to some of the obstacles you've had to fight through besides all the knee problems we mentioned. Last summer, yeah, you know I was going to bring this one up. Last summer, your girlfriend, soccer star Megan Rapino, got into a spitting match with Donald Trump on the Internet. Mm-hmm. And you, I, I don't know if a lot of people know this, you wrote an essay for the Players' Tribune entitled, So the Effin' President Hates My Girlfriend. <laughs> it was a great essay. I, I read it again this morning. Very real. I'm wondering, though, how much blowback did you get from that? And and how did you work through all of the criticism? Um, I I definitely got more positive than negative. I can say that, you know, outright. It's like I would say it was like 90, 10 positive. Um, What a lot of people don't know is that the year before uh, in the 2018 WNBA playoffs, I broke my nose and I did a player's tribune article then. And the title of that article was, so I broke my effing nose. (laughs) And so it was actually a play on that. Um, cause it was like, you know, it was the next time I wrote an article. And so it was kind of a, so the president hates my effing girl or the effing president hates my girlfriend. So it's kind of a play on that. Usually, you know, I don't know if you can tell, but I'm not like that aggressive, but neither here nor there. So like I said, most of it was positive. The negative were, was people who just truly support Trump. So, um, in that sense, I, I you know, I, I disagree, but you know, for, for me, um, I think the article was more about supporting Megan. You know, Megan was, was very, has been very open about how she feels and very verbal about, in that case, not wanting to go to the White House if they won. And then of course the president, you know, took to Twitter. So it was really just about having her back because I don't think a lot of people understand that in a moment where you're trying to win a championship, a distraction like that could, could, could totally derail the whole thing, not just for Megan, but for her entire team. And this is something that they only get this shot every four years. So um, it's set out to be like kind of a little bit of a hype piece for her, for the team. It ended up being a little bit of a defense piece, I guess, just having her back, but trying to do it with some humor and trying to just, um, I mean, really that's the end of the story is just trying to defend her. And, and again, I think it, it turned out well and, and, you know, it was received pretty well. You've won titles yourself, individual titles with your teams here in the WNBA, UConn and all that business. What was it like though, sharing that experience with Megan, on an international level. I mean, taking that flight out to watch her play when you know she was that close on the precipice of winning a world cup. It was wild. It really was. And and it was unique because I've never really, I've never been on that side of it where someone you love is trying to achieve something and you've seen all the hard work, you know, usually I'm the one on the, on the court. Um, so now I kind of got a taste of what, you know, my family and friends have been feeling and it's kind of nerve wracking because you have no control. And as an athlete, you're used to having control. So it was, it was, it was nerve wracking, but it was also really cool because I knew how ready she was. I knew how ready the team was. I knew how bad they wanted it. So to see them actually achieve it, to witness it um, was crazy. And like you said, it's on the international scale. I mean, the world cup just has this weight to it. So um, winning that, it was like, you know, nothing I had ever seen. Um, and then obviously when they got home, you know, everybody understood because the fanfare was, it was insane. I mean, we were in New York for dinner, like a week after, 
And we walked into like a very popular New York restaurant and the whole place when they saw her pink hair, I think, um, like gave her a standing ovation. I was like, oh my God, our life is going to be so different now. It was in that moment where I was like, holy crap. <laughs> Yet you guys aren't afraid to put yourselves out there. I mean, in, in 2018, you and, and Megan posed in the nude for ESPN, the magazine's body issue. And, and that shot made the front cover. Uh, any more blowback there? No. Um, and I don't, I, I couldn't imagine there being any because to me, the body issue is a celebration. It's not, I know that we're nude, but it's celebrating athletes' bodies, the shapes, the sizes, the differences. And it's really our, our job, our livelihood depends on our body, depends how we take care of it. And so to me, it's just such a celebration of that. Um, I don't see why there would be any negativity because it's, it's to me also very tasteful. I, I, I can only imagine though that process. All right. So you're taking your clothes off and there there's people around you and it's just, how weird was that experience? It's definitely um, more people around than I'm used to. And the cameras can be a little like, Ugh. but to be honest, um, not to downplay it. I think it's different for everyone. My experiences, I've been in locker rooms my whole life and it's the most non-sexual thing, a non-sexual experience. Um, being in a locker room, just taking your uniform off, having to shower, rechange that whole thing. There's nothing, you know, sexual about it. So you you get used to almost maybe just you you almost ignore the fact that you're all naked. It's like you don't see it because it's just such a part of the life. So once we were in that environment, again, the cameras were a little like, oh well, I guess they're gonna capture all of this. There was that moment. But otherwise, it just became this like very non-sexual thing where you're like just trying to get a good photo. You are like so many pro athletes where you're happy-go-lucky, you're fun-loving, but on the court, you hit that switch and that switch turns into a, a completely different human being. You ever go back and look at that stuff and say, oh my God, I can't believe I was like that. Are you proud of that? Are you, is that, is that who you are or is that, are you a completely different person on the court? Um, I mean, I, especially when it comes to like yelling at a ref, when I see the play the next day, I'm like, Oh God, that looks terrible. Like uh, without fail. Um, I don't know. I think that's, that's just a part of it. I mean, you guys see it, you know, your court side, you see it, there's emotion, you know, you're into every play and there's, it's not just that one game. It's like everything about that, that play, you know, I don't know. It's just that you, you put your heart into something. And so it's hard not to get emotional about it, but there, there are some plays that make me cringe for sure. And then simultaneously, I'm like, well, we probably wouldn't have won if, you know, we didn't care so much. So you seem to be a very practical person uh, from talking with you now and, and from everything I've read and from knowing about you in the Nuggets front office. Um, your girlfriend is not so practical at times. I mean, she's not afraid to stir it up. Um, but your practicality, your pragmatism, is that what's helped you get through all of these moments that would make other people stop in their tracks, but you just fight right through them. I think elements. Yeah. There's elements of that practicality that, that come to play. Um, very early on, you know, it was my freshman year in college where I first had to deal with, um, being injured and kind of having the game taken away. And I was lucky. I had a, an older teammate, Shay Ralph, who had been through some ACL. So she was there to kind of help me through it. And it was just, you, you, you kind of realize like, all right, I have a choice. You know, and that's where like the practicality part comes in. I can either dwell on all the negative that this has brought me, you know, missing my entire freshman year, not at that point, not having a career. So it's like, you feel as if, oh my God, what if this is it? What if this finishes me? So a lot of doubt creeps in. So you can either choose to dwell on that or you can kind of, 
you know, attack it and, and look at it as a positive. Um, you know, to be honest, I think the practical side of me understands that it's probably a little bit of both, but you want to kind of live in the positive as much as possible. And then as you get older, you know, I think I realized like, oh, it's not really, life's not really about like avoiding the hard times, you know, like, yeah, nobody wants to have the adversity, but it's coming and you really can't control it. Life's, in my opinion, especially from an athlete standpoint, like it's kind of more about knowing it's going to come and making sure you're ready for it and understanding that with each challenge and each obstacle you, you knock off, you're just going to get stronger. You're just going to get more confident and you're going to feel like invincible. So that's kind of, you know, through many, 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 many years, um, how I've, the approach that I've taken. So, uh, you and Megan are about to enter very small company here. Not many people, athletes alone in the world have been asked to host the ESPYs, mm-hmm. but that's what you're going to do on a virtual basis with Russell Wilson. When did you get that call? And did you have to think it <laughs> over? Were you all in all the way? All in all the way, no doubt. Um, and at first I was like, my agent had texted me um, and she actually assumed I knew already because a lot of times Megan and I actually have the same, we don't have the same agent. We're, we're in the same agency, which was kind of sort of how we met. So yeah, so my agent kind of texted and was like, oh, blah, 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 the ESPYs. I was like, what? She was like, oh yeah. Like, oh my God, I thought you knew. And I was like, well, I didn't, but like, of course I'm doing it. It's like a no brainer. This is a once in a lifetime. What, what, what do you have planned? I mean, uh, in terms of the, do they, do they give you a slew of writers or is that all you? How does it work? <laughs> well, you know, we have a writer's room call. No, you know, obviously there hasn't been a ton of sports, sadly. Um, so a lot of the awards, I, I think, have to change because of that. So I think everyone's kind of in that process of, you know, figuring that out. But we know we're doing it from home <laughs> and we know we're doing it with Russell and hopefully we, uh, we put on a good show. Are you and Megan going to be in different places or are you going to be together when you're doing the show? No, we'll be together. Well, that sounds like it'll be a lot of fun. And, and of course, we'll be watching and, uh, and we'll be, we're, we're thrilled that you're going to be going for a fifth gold medal here. Now, as Sue Bird, do you automatically have a spot on the team or will you have to audition? We have to try out for the team. <laughs> um, definitely not. Um, the, but we don't have like a proper tryout. So that's what's kind of interesting about this year, you know. They kind of just watch us and have different training camps. And then from there, they, they pick the team really only like a couple of weeks. The official team doesn't get picked. Um, they, they can go all the way up to, to, to the start date. So we'll see TBD. So I, I have to ask, cause I played point guard my entire life. And that position is pretty much the position that runs a basketball team. The greatest point guard in basketball history. Who is it? You know, this I've been asked this a couple of times in the last week, shockingly, and watching the last dance was a reminder of just how good John Stockton was. It's like we forgot. He just, because he's so low key. By the way, one of my favorite stories is that um, when I broke, I mean, you'll know why it's my favorite in a second, but when I broke the WNBA assist record, John actually called to congratulate me. So he's already like very high on my list because of that. <laughs> and I also got to meet him on the, during those State Farm commercials. So, um, but yeah, watching The Last Dance, you were just like, man, he doesn't get enough love. He was so good. So good. So right now I'm on like a John Stockton high. Sue, we really appreciate your time. We'll be rooting you on uh, if you are playing with the Olympic team next summer, if there is an Olympics next summer. And uh, glad to have you with us. Thank you very much. Thanks, Sue. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Stay safe.
Thanks for listening to We Are Unstoppable, sponsored by the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. You want more unstoppable stories? Subscribe to our podcast wherever you find and listen to podcasts. You can even ask your smart speaker to play We Are Unstoppable podcasts. And you can visit us at our website, unstoppablepodcasts.com, for more episodes and ways to subscribe. That's unstoppablepodcasts.com. Subscribe today.